Welcome to the Align Nutrition Podcast, a place where eating doesn't get in the way of living. We use science and psychology to move past the challenges you face while healing your relationship to food. I'm your host, Erica Drury, a registered dietitian and intuitive eating counselor. For the past 10 years, I've been helping people like you find a happy medium of flow and balance with eating. If solving these issues were easy, you would have figured it out already. Expect to learn a new way. Each week, you'll hear trainings, listen in on mini coaching sessions from people on your same path, and learn from other guest professionals. I'm so glad you've joined me. Hey there, welcome back to the Align Nutrition Podcast. You are going to love this episode today. We are talking about this idea of kind of clean eating gone bad when the list of foods that you feel comfortable eating without feeling guilty is so, so small and so narrowed. It's the path of so many of us. And I wanted to specifically have an episode talking about orthorexia, an obsession with healthy eating. And there is some distinctions that we make, some really important categories and ways that we talk about this condition so that you can start to recognize it in yourself, maybe in small ways that it shows up or whether it's something that you struggle with on a daily or hourly basis. We will walk through what are some things that you can start to think about and how might you start to move through that. So I am joined by an amazing guest. Mimi Cole is a graduate student in clinical rehabilitation and mental health counseling. You may know her from her Instagram and podcast, The Lovely Becoming. She is someone who has been featured and spoken passionately about orthorexia, obsessive compulsive disorder, and eating disorders. She studied at Vanderbilt University, where she studied educational psychology and social determinants of health, and learned a lot about weight-inclusive care and intuitive eating. So you are going to love her. She is a wealth of knowledge and has a ton to share with us today. So we will hop right into it. And I always like to remind you, if you are listening to this episode and feeling like, oh my gosh, I don't think I could get out of this pattern without some support, I would be completely out of control, then inquire to become a private client of mine. I'm always happy to help you and support you. This is the work that I do every day. A link to that is located in the show notes. Let's hop right in. Welcome back to the Aligned Nutrition Podcast. Today, I have Mimi Cole with me. Mimi, welcome. Hi, thanks for having me, Erica. Absolutely. I'm so excited to dig into this conversation today. We're going to be talking about orthorexia, what it is, how it shows up in our lives, and then some things that we can do to really find a relationship to food that's really centered around positivity, flexibility, and satisfaction in a way that really flows into your life. and. When I'm hopping into episodes with guests, I always like to start with asking, you know, who are you? Like, how did you get into this work and and what do you bring to it? Yeah. So I am currently living in North Carolina. I just completed my undergrad in child development and something called Medicine Health and Society last year. So I lived in Nashville for a couple of years and did that. And then I moved on to um, my graduate program. And I started doing therapy not until I was about 19 and moved for college. And so that was a unique experience. I didn't grow up knowing much about therapy or hearing much about it, but it was really healing for me. And I loved the work that my therapist did with me and how they held space for me. And so halfway through college, I started off as a special education major 
or I guess a year into college and decided to switch my major at the time thinking I would want to do child development and maybe do research and had a lot of different interests, but have since kind of shifted to wanting to work with adults, young adults, especially. And so, yeah, that's how I kind of came to this work. And I'm really grateful for the place that I'm at and the things that I get to do through social media, etc. Thank you so much for being here and all that you do. A lot of people that I talk to that go into this field and this work, it's because they were so positively impacted by this themselves. Was orthorexia something that you dealt with or you understood? How did you come to... Because really, you talk a ton about this on social media. You have a clinical understanding. Anything else? Yeah. I mean, they always say, write what you know. And I know very intimately about orthorexia. I had it for maybe five years or so pretty severely. And so my experiences with it kind of look like very much narrowing foods. It started off as a weight loss journey. We went to a gym, my parents and I, and we started like a challenge. And then we worked, started working with a nutritionist and she started telling us like what foods to cut out and which ones were quote good and quote bad. And so I started really listening into that. And with my tendencies towards perfectionism and obsessionalism, obsessionality, I think it is, I really kind of took that to heart and was like, all right, there are good foods and bad foods. There are super foods and there are subpar foods. And so at one point I would find myself being afraid to even give bad foods to other people. And so I couldn't make things for others. I couldn't eat things for myself. And the thing about it is that the list gets narrower and narrower of what's allowed and what's good and what's bad. Oh my gosh. And I think so many people start out with that story where, hey, hey, I'm just following this plan or I just want to be healthier or I heard that this was bad. So I stopped eating this food. And it's never, you never imagine that you'll end up with this list of short foods. And then you and that care of like, oh my gosh, I don't even want to harm anyone else. And it extending into that obsessionality and that really fear-based. I love the word narrowing. I think that's a really beautiful expression of... I mean, not that it's a beautiful thing to go through, but it makes so much sense. It's so fitting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. So if somebody's listening to this, number one, they're going to appreciate hearing from someone who has been through it themselves and then also has the clinical knowledge and skills to really frame it out and see kind of how it came to be. And then I know we'll get into some some things as far as moving through it. And I want to have a bit of a discussion on, you know, what is orthorexia? Yeah, orthorexia is an obsession with clean or right or pure eating. And it's characterized by kind of obsessions with like healthy eating and the compulsion really, if you want to break it down into obsessions and compulsions, is changing the way that you eat. So that might be only preparing foods a certain way, raw or baked or something like that. It can look like isolating yourself socially because you're not sure what's going to be served at parties or at different gatherings. It might look like asking questions over and over, like, are you sure that's a whole grade thing? Are you sure that doesn't have any carbs in it? And so there's a lot of just rigidity around, no, I have to be healthy. I have to be healthy. And this idea that like clean eating has to go to an extreme. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's I think that some people would, the way you describe that, because I think some people would wonder, well, wait a minute, like, so eating healthy, like it sounds like eating healthy and, you know, removing it. And then maybe for some people, it just becomes a problem. But 
it sounds like it's really centered around this like obsession and this compulsion and the level of like rigidity, the extreme piece of it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think it's interesting because on the one hand, you could say it's when it becomes obsessive, but to me, I think it's a slippery slope anyway to start off with the whole clean eating thing, especially because it demonizes certain foods and it it comes in like morality comes into the food space and comparison and it becomes another way to define an in-group and an out-group. And so if you are all about like, I eat clean and I'm good because of that, what happens if you meet someone who doesn't eat that way? Do you think they're automatically bad and unclean? And that can be really harmful for relationships and for equity in terms of who has access to clean eating, et cetera. Yeah, that's such a good point. It's a, there's this like moral superiority that's associated with it. And I think there is a level of community, oh, an identity of I am this, you are that, this is good, this is bad. And, you know, considering the level of privilege around this conversation. It's fascinating. And then, you know, even thinking about, I'm thinking about the way you were describing the way you fell into it. It made me wonder, you know, what type of people are really susceptible to this? Because we're all hearing these messages. And then some of us maybe have a tendency to head towards this narrowing. Yeah, I think definitely people who have obsessive personalities or are genetically predisposed to something like OCD or something like an eating disorder, especially with comorbidities, even though orthorexia isn't recognized by the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, it is recognized by a lot of treatment centers and clinicians. And so the more, if you have one diagnosis, mental illness diagnosis, you know, you're probably more likely to be more susceptible to orthorexia. Also environmental factors. So if you're family kind of continues to perpetuate these ideas about clean eating and really hammer them into your brain, that can be really harmful as well. Yeah. When I think about those individual characteristics or susceptibilities, really, it makes me think that, okay, these are not negative qualities or like it's your problem, quote unquote. I think the the most important thing is what you said. It's like, We really want to change the conversation around food, the bigger conversation that says this food is good, this food is bad, and really operating systemically, societally from a preventative place or with a sensitivity to, hey, some people may not have access to these types of conversations around food. They may not be reasonable conversations to be having. Could we consider the harmful impact of defining food as good or bad and what that can possibly do. And then to top it off with all of these other comorbid conditions, these aren't infrequent conditions for people to deal with. Yeah, they come up a lot, definitely. And, you know, a lot of people struggle with anxiety or disordered eating. I think the numbers are even higher than we estimate because of the people who don't know that it's a problem or who don't know that they're struggling and just think it's normal. Absolutely. And I think because you can't see it on the outside either, you know, you just see, you know, two people eating a salad or two people roasting their own chickpeas, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's like, okay, well, who, one of those people might be suffering from orthorexia and one may not because it, it typically is in terms of you know, with an eating disorder, there may be some clinical presentation and some clinical signs where maybe, for example, a dentist is noticing 
acid erosion in someone's bulimic and, and they're, you know, getting care or maybe a doctor notices that a child has dipped off the weight charts and is questioning it. But with orthorexia, maybe some of these, these types of screening questions that we hope will happen or these assessment tools that we hope will catch somebody who's suffering may not happen with orthorexia. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it is because we look at such outward and physical symptoms and we don't listen to intention, which is really critical for diagnosis. And especially thinking about thinking patterns and cognitions are also important. And that takes a lot of time and effort. And so I think that's why it's really hard because if we want to really get things moving along and make sure we don't miss people, we really have to take time with them. And that takes a lot of reworking of the system. So yeah. How was it for you? Did your did you come to your therapist and say, hey, I think I have a problem. I'm so obsessed with this? Or or did he or she end up asking you the right questions? It was a little bit interesting. So I struggled it all throughout high school before I started therapy. And my therapist kind of noticed, like I think it was right around the time. So my therapist asked me some questions about what I was eating and she's an eating disorder specialist. And so that was unique. And then I also was taking a nutrition class where they happened to talk about orthorexia. And I thought, you know, this is interesting. I like, I resonate a lot with the criteria and everything. And so it was kind of perfectly coming together with my therapist asking questions, me learning about orthorexia, which is such a gift because most people don't learn about it in any nutrition class. And so I'm really lucky that they had that guest speaker and that was how it happened for me. Wow. I agree, you know, as someone who went to nutrition school, that's not common. And I'm so glad that it did for you. Yeah, definitely. It was incredible. And I'm really grateful for that friendship that I now have with the dietitian who came and spoke to us. So yes. Well, and I think about you entering this field and the impact you've already had through your Instagram. And then thank you for taking the time to do things like this and share it feels exponential to me. Like of all the future people, you're going to continue helping from that one situation. It's it's pretty incredible. Thank you. Absolutely. And I think about, you know, if somebody's listening to this and they're kind of going, hmm, this is, this is interesting. I wonder what were some... We've already kind of alluded to a description of how things can go off, off the tracks and this narrowing what maybe could be some questions or could we maybe discuss some criteria? Not that criteria needs to be hard and fast and you need to identify with every single thing. I mean, to me, if you resonate with one of these things, it's like, okay, cool. This is some things we can we can focus on and hopefully help bring some flexibility to. What are some things that people could be thinking about? You've already talked about this intention and, and what's kind of going on maybe questions or how do you want to speak about it? Yeah. I mean, the first one that comes to mind is thinking about, do you worry about the ingredients? Do you spend time reading food labels, worrying about like what you're putting in your body and how it'll affect your health? Maybe some obsessive, like worrying about superfoods or like, is it organic? Is it from local? And getting really torn about like, it has to have all those check marks, which can be really hard. And maybe if you are afraid of like fried foods or sugary foods or certain types of foods or categories, you know, I think a lot of people who maybe do diets or dabble in dieting might take cheat days and be okay with that. But I say with like eating disorders, a lot of times it's like, there's no cheat days. It's not about like balance or flexibility or giving permission. Like it's like, 
rigid. And so that that's another one to look out for. And then just thinking about like, is this food good or bad? Like labeling foods as clean or morally superior, or even feeling like you're a better person than other people because you eat a certain way. And so that's another big one for orthorexia. Absolutely. And I think people who dabbled in this stuff will relate as well and will have some strategies for that. But, you know, thinking about, gosh, you know, this may not be an official eating disorder according to the American Psychiatric Association at the moment. But I think it's because of what you were talking about with that level of objectivity. You know, if you're doing like Dr. Stephen Bratman, who defined orthorexia and, you know, overcame it himself and has done a lot of this research and has written about it specifically in his book, Health Food Junkies. It's like, you know, if you're administering a questionnaire, that's where I think it's still, you're trying to get at the intention, which you can't always, because it's hard to tap into that from a, from a subjective questionnaire and screening form. Somebody might score high or not score high because we can't get at that level of obsessiveness from the questions. Yeah, definitely. And we miss a lot of people. And even with recognized eating disorders, I think, you know, if someone says, do you count calories? Like there's a lot that could go into that. Like how often do you count calories? Why do you count calories, et cetera, et cetera. Or maybe even missing people because if someone says, no, I don't count calories, but maybe they count grams of fat, grams of sugar, and they count everything else, but you're really not asking those questions. And so there's a lot of missing of people. I agree. And as we're talking about this, it strikes me that a really important reason that we're having this conversation is being able to see yourself in something or understand that, hey, this may not be normal. Because like, you know, as you were talking about that, I'm like, somebody might be thinking, oh, well, I count macros and so does everybody else in the Facebook group I'm in. But if, if it's disrupting your life and if it feels obsessive and it, it, it interrupts things or is causing you harm in any way, then yeah, it it really can be a problem. And there's these degrees of, I mean, not that like we talked about, I'm not going to be recommending this to anyone, but if, you know, if for some reason there are people out there who are like, oh, I count my carbs and I never have a problem. Okay, cool. But you can, this conversation is to carve out this level of permission and kind of understanding that, hey, this stuff can become really obsessive. And what's that line between, hey, I eat pretty healthy. I'm pretty, I hate all these words. I'm pretty conscientious. Like, ugh, I don't want to say any of them, but you know, versus, Hey, wait a minute. This doesn't feel right to me. This feels like it's taking away from my health rather than, you know, adding to, and, and ideally with nutrition, you know, there's a level of additive benefits rather than being drawn into a narrow list. Yeah. I think it's like if you're seeing yourself in some of this and wondering about it. So we're seeing this kind of identity piece shift. We're seeing this morality piece step forward. We're seeing this level of obsessiveness, this level of rigidity. How does, and you mentioned, you know, it's interaction with other eating disorders and dieting and things like that. How would you say you see orthorexia play with restriction? You know, when someone is maybe say they just came off, and I'm not picking on anything here, but like, let's just say they came off of the whole 30 and it's time to start adding foods back in and they're not, or they're like even more rigid about it. Like I will make my own ketchup till the end of time or, you know, whatever, (laughs) 
<laughs> like how how does restriction and orthorexia tend to work together? And I think one inherently leads to the other. And so if you're cutting out food groups, you're automatically kind of restricting, especially in the world of eating disorders. We talk about restriction, not just as like, I'm restricting how much I eat, but what I eat, like what categories of food I eat is really important. And I think people don't always see it that way because they think of restriction as like counting calories and you really miss out on counting macros, counting grams of sugar, counting, you know, what food groups are okay and not okay. And so it's that narrowing coming back to that again, because some foods become off limits and unsafe. And so you're automatically restricting your diet to certain things. And when I think about, you know, finishing out our conversation with this, and not that we're done yet, but I'm thinking (laughs) we're headed next, is this idea of like, if we're thinking about a path forward, it makes sense to me that if you're working on, and you said something that was really important about, it's not just limiting what you're eating. It's what is being limited in your mind as well. And so if I'm thinking about the path forward, I'm wondering if through improving restriction, through, again, mental, physical, et cetera, that some of this stuff could improve on its own as well. But I think that orthorexia does, and this is, again, why I'm glad we're talking about this today, bring in that identity piece, that kind of morality piece. That's, you know, moral, how you feel about it and that sense of community. This is how I eat, you know, and this is who I am. What are some ways that people can start to think about this a bit differently? If they're, if they're like, okay, I identify with some of this stuff, (laughs) then what? I think it depends on who you ask. I think some people will take on a behavioral approach where it's kind of like exposing yourself to those fear foods. Some people will take a more cognitive approach, thinking about addressing the thoughts and beliefs and patterns that are going on in your mind. And hopefully that will inform the food. I would probably take on both approaches where you're doing exposures to incorporate those foods back in and challenging those thoughts and beliefs that foods are bad or good, because it's important to understand that like you are not what you eat, despite that saying like you are what you eat, because some people don't have access to quote good foods or more nutrient dense foods, et cetera. And that doesn't make them bad people. And some people like to have an easy way of categorizing others. So it's easy to say like, oh, they eat clean, so they're good. Or, oh, they eat bad. So they must not care about their health or well-being or be like me. And so really challenging that moral superiority aspect. I love how you broke it out into both because it's like, Exposing yourself to the food and having a new experience with it can shape some of those changes in your thoughts. Oh, wait a minute. You know, my health didn't suddenly decline when I stopped buying organic produce. But then also in the other way around of, oh my gosh, I actually never set out to think about people this way and to feel this way about food. And the fact that I'm now bringing awareness to this and realizing that I never want to feel better than someone else because of how I eat. And that that is like a way of thinking that I've inherited that I would like to get rid of, that then that could propel you forward into incorporating more foods and feeling more neutral in these situations. Yeah, definitely. It sounds like really moving into a place of expansion with foods. Once you've kind of realized where you're at, When you're thinking about orthorexia and expanding back to maybe where you were before or differently, 
do you recommend that people start with like one thing at a time or they just rip the bandaid off or do a mixture of both or whoever they are? How do you think about that? I personally believe in more about like one or two at a time, because what happens is if you eat all your fear foods at once and then you're like, never mind, I can't do any of them. You know, it's kind of like this black and white thinking, this back and forth. But if you slowly incorporate them, then you're kind of like, okay, remember I was able to do a cupcake last week. Maybe I can do pasta this week. And then maybe the next week I can do both. I think gradual habituation is important and getting used to it as opposed to like this overwhelming, like eat it all at once. You know, others might not, might have a different perspective and that's okay. And, you know, I think it's interesting. We don't always talk about theoretical orientation. So everybody who's like a clinician really has their own modalities of treatment and what they think works best. And I think we don't talk about that a lot and kind of assume that like, oh, a dietitian said this, so it must be true. Or a therapist said this, so that's how it works. But that's how they see the world in their lens of treatment. So that's important as well. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And finding somebody to partner with you and meet you where you're at, get to know you to help you collaborate and, and mm-hmm. figure out what your plan moving forward could be. Yeah. I'm also thinking about this other piece. We've talked about this expansion, these exposures, these cognitive challenges, and I think they're pretty personal. So we don't, we, I probably won't have you run through a lot of those. You already alluded to a ton of the type of thoughts that we could have and how we could change them and think about them differently. I'm also thinking about, I don't want to call it a personal mission statement, but I'm thinking about what if we know that orthorexia and the level of obsessiveness that we feel about healthy eating is centered around this intention. It makes me wonder if in either in your process or what you recommend Is it changing your intention or thinking about why you're expanding your foods? Like, is that part of this? I mean, I think it comes back to that approach again. Some people will say you don't have to change your thoughts about it. You just need to act on it and change those eating patterns. I'm more of a mixed belief for that. Like, it's important to think about your intention and your values which can be really hard if you're stuck in orthorexia because malnourishment leads to kind of cognitive difficulties. And so it can be hard. And they say that like, you know, you have to nourish your body first to do the work of kind of unlearning and and learning. I think there's room for both. And chances are, if you're listening to this and thinking that you relate, you probably have a reason of, oh, you know, gosh, this really is getting in the way of my life. Or I hate that if I go out to lunch, I have to like plan my whole day around it or you know, so I guess the the motivations really are already kind of pre-selected. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Because it's a lot to make the change, but worth it. Is there anything else that you would like to share about orthorexia that I maybe didn't ask? I mean, I think the one thing I keep coming back to is that if orthorexia ever becomes a part of the DSM, your experiences with it, even if they weren't diagnosed before, are still real and valid. And you still experienced it even when there wasn't an official name for it. So I think that can be really healing to hear. Thank you for sharing that. That's beautiful. Well, thank you again, Mimi, for being here. I love talking to you. And as we sign off, I always like to ask my guests, what's next for you? What are your plans for the future? Oh my gosh, that's a good question. I am working on a workbook with my friend, my colleague for body image. And so we're excited about that. 
I'm writing a lot more recently and then I'll start seeing clients very soon. So that's exciting for me. That's so exciting. And where can people find you so they can follow and make sure that the day that workbook comes out, (laughs) they can get it? Yes, you can follow me at the.lovelybecoming or you can find the Lovely Becoming podcast. You can find me on my website, www.mimi-cole.com and everything else should be on those three things. Wonderful. Well, thank you again for being here. Thanks to you for listening. Find me on Instagram at Align Nutrition. Let me know if you like this or if you have other topics or ideas for the podcast. I love hearing from you. If you've gotten something out of this, help us reach more people who need this message by subscribing in your podcast app. A nice rating and review also helps us reach more people and is so appreciated. I hope you enjoyed this episode and until next time.